It's not that we are too expensive, it's that guests are perceiving that we cost too much. So what can we do to now use the data that we have, use the data that surrounds it to say, what was it about this guest's visit that led to them perceiving that the ticket price was too high? And how can we alleviate those around the peripheral that then make the guests say, this was a great value. Um, I, I would I would pay more for this experience if the you know if if it cost more without actually changing any of your prices. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's fantastic and happy new year. All right. The first fantastic of the year. I'm excited. <laughs> and so this is the first episode of the Attraction Pros podcast in 2022. That's pretty exciting. That is very exciting. I mean, last time you kind of you kind of got me a little bit when you said this is the last podcast of 2021. And I'm so relieved that we're back in 2022. <laughs> Here we are. I say... Let's do another 52 podcasts this year. Will that work out with how many weeks there are? I think there are, yeah, like 52 total podcasts. Of, <laughs> let's just keep releasing podcasts every single Tuesday forever till the end of time. Okay, I'm in. <laughs> What's really exciting about this episode is we just released a new ebook that is very timely and very important for being the beginning of the year where we are really looking ahead into 2022 as far as what trends we can forecast and what to anticipate. And it wasn't just from us, uh, we contributed to it a little bit, but we put the call out to the entire Attraction Pros audience and we got some amazing replies and submissions from people who uh, are telling us that we should be on the lookout for these trends uh, for these specific areas of opportunity uh, within the industry. And some of them are, are external forces as well. Um, but it's, it, it was a great wide ranging list of things that we should all be thinking about as we head into this new year. Absolutely. And, you know, I got to give kudos to you, Josh, because this was really your brainchild to put this out there. And, you know, of course, we worked on it together and we had input from a lot of people. But this was really your brainchild to kind of think about things in a different way, because over the last couple of years, you and I have done the resolutionary episodes. And what are we resolving to do and and how are we going to move our thing, our businesses? And, and what do we see in the in the uh, area of trends? But this was really fascinating to get so many diverse opinions about what people are seeing. And, you know, these are people that have been in the industry for a long time, have watched trends, have have seen uh, other things happen and other, like you said, external forces that would impact the way we do business. And um, I'm just super excited to get to some of those highlights and then, you know, allow people to see the uh, the actual download. Yeah, absolutely. And for those who'd like to download it, you can go to attractionpros.com slash 
forecast 22. That's where you can find it. That link will be in the show notes. And we've sent out an email and it's on all our, on our social channels as well. So we highly recommend you do go on the website, you download it, you can do it from your phone, from your computer, whatever. If you enjoy it, feel free to share it with your network, with your colleagues, because this is something that I think is really important, uh, that we both think is, is really important for, you know, for everyone to be kind of on the lookout. And like you mentioned, there's a lot of really great, uh, you said it, a great diversity of replies that we got. And when we went through it, we were able to really kind of put a number of the different things that people talked about into different buckets or categories. And in the order that they appear in the ebook, those categories are business strategy, technology, staffing and employment, which I think was the longest one, <laughs> guest experience, social responsibility, and optimism that people have for the industry. Now, to, to clarify that, we did not ask them to comment on those topics. This was completely open-ended and freeform. So if you're going through the ebook and you see that some of them are, are longer than others, or there are some people that are, that are in some, but not others, it's because it was completely the open-ended responses that we then allocated into those categories that we created while going through it and saying, all right, we can, we can connect the dots here. And instead of just sharing everyone's, you know, just, just copy and paste it in, into the ebook, which was honestly the initial thought process <laughs> of how we would do it. Uh, we were able to really create a lot of links from what people were saying into each of those different categories. So what's cool about it is uh, you might see certain people's names come up multiple points because they, uh, you know, listed it a couple of different things. So they might be in a couple of different categories, and some of them might even be in the same category more than once if they had two somewhat parallel, you know, disconnected thoughts, but under the same umbrella in the same category. We listed those as as separate points. So, like I said, please go download it and and share it. But in the meantime. Matt, I'm excited to kind of do a, a deep dive to talk about some of the highlights of what many people shared in the ebook. Me too, me too. So should we just go right in order of the ebook and start with business strategy? Let's start with business strategy. What, uh, what were some of your, your takeaways that, uh, that you found from going through that? Well, I thought it was really interesting. A couple of people talked about dynamic pricing. Um, uh, we talked, uh, some people talked about IPs. And one of the things that really struck me about what Benton Shortridge uh, from Adirondack Studios was talking about in terms of IP was that he said, we're going to look at more um, video game IP versus movie IP, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, I don't want to say that movie IP is done, uh, but I think we, we've done a lot with movie IP. And I think what you're seeing is, a lot of people are, you know, were, you know, very involved with video games, and you're going to see, a, I think, a really a close adaptation of what the video game IP could be to more immersive experiences. And I know Louis Alfieri talked about that a lot in terms of transcendent uh, type experiences. And when you get more into being a part of a video game, you're almost already immersed, right? And so now you put somebody in that environment. I think it's much different than thinking about how to put someone into the narrative of a movie where that narrative is already set out, where that video game could be created, the narrative of the video game could create be created as you're, as you're playing, if you will. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I think the, the level of, like you said, immersion and active participation I think is uh, probably ties in a lot with video game IP. We think of you know Nintendo, which we're seeing at Universal Japan, and then I believe we're seeing it at, at Epic Universe in Orlando. And everyone is so excited about that because they're able to 
be in the game, be a player of something that we've been able to do at home from an active participation standpoint, and now have the ability to do that in theme park form. So like you said, there's, you know, we're, we're definitely not done with movie IP. Um, you know, I think that as long as Disney is going to continue creating Marvel movies and Star Wars movies, we're probably going to see a lot more of those in theme parks too. Uh, but taking it to the next level of how we can participate in those is a little bit of a different context than how we're able to participate in a movie. And there's a lot of parallels. I mean, we talked about Smuggler's Run on a podcast not too long ago, and that could be a video game in and of itself. I also think there could probably be a lot of crossovers in the entertainment space, and, and there has been for many years of creating video games out of existing movie IP content, which then just transfers really clean and seamlessly into the theme park world. So it'll be interesting to see what we see from that standpoint as we go forward. Yeah. Um, there were also uh, you know, a few comments as well of, of kind of looking at it uh, from a high level standpoint that Dennis Spiegel from International Theme Park Services uh, suggests that we're going to see some sales of independent parks and perhaps even new additional parks announced uh, in uh, in some markets that do not currently have a large theme park, which in the United States, there, there are some, but they're relatively few and far between. And I think kind of even looking back into towards the end of 2021, Adventureland in Iowa is probably the biggest example of that, of joining the Palace Entertainment family. Well, and it's funny, I don't know exactly when Dennis's um, uh, uh, contribution came in, but I don't know if it was before or after that uh, was announced. Um, I believe he said that he was actually part of that transaction and, and helped with that with that changeover. Um, but no, I think it's really interesting to see the evolution of those markets um, because a lot of people will say for large theme parks, you know, a lot of the markets have been tapped. But then you have someone like an urban air or you have, you know, smaller FECs or adventure parks that can go into different size markets and create an incredibly immersive experience that doesn't have the budget of a Six Flags or a Disney or Universal, but they're able to create um, ways for people to stay closer to home, but experience something really, really cool. And I think this also goes to something, I believe it was Cynthia Sharp said that people want to get out right? They want to get out and do, and I don't think that's ever going to change. Like as long as human beings are on this planet, we're going to want to get out and do things. And I think when you, when you try to figure out what it is that they want to do, there's so many things that they can do and so many options. And I don't think we've hit the ceiling of that yet. Like the, the creative ceiling of what we can offer to people in terms of experiences, I, I think the sky is still literally the limit. Yeah. I, and there was another thing that Cynthia said too. Actually, there were a lot. I think she had the longest submission <laughs> of everyone. So it's actually cool to see her at multiple points in multiple contexts, uh, contexts, <laughs> excuse me, throughout the ebook. Uh, but she she kind of uh, connected the dots with what Dennis said about new parks popping up in emerging markets. And it ties in really nicely with what you just said as far as facilities of different scopes and sizes. That she's saying that we're in this glorious period of why not? And that some smaller venues uh, are starting to get more and more creative with um, kind of creating some of those immersive experiences that have been reserved for the larger destination theme parks. So she says that the lines between places and disciplines are blurring and she follows it up and, and she says it's awesome. Yeah. She also 
mentioned something really important that we put into the business strategy category. And this did have to do with COVID. And this I, I thought was really interesting that we need to be thinking when we're projecting attendance or when we're planning for staffing or different operating procedures, not to just be looking at it as normal versus peak operating times, but as far as kind of what level of COVID we are in at any given point. And we can look at the last almost two years of the pandemic and say, all right, when we started out in full lockdown, everything was shut down and then open, very restricted. And then some of those restrictions lifted and then they went back and then they got lifted again. And then they went back and, and kind of ping ponged a little bit. So not just thinking about normal versus peak attendance, but normal versus limited versus peak versus who the hell knows is, <laughs> is what she put in. And to be able to change on a dime when that comes into place from those external factors of of your local county or government, go government now saying, you know, masks are required indoors or vaccines are required to enter all entertainment establishments. You know, we need to be thinking about what could be and be ready to make those changes uh, in, in a very short period of time. Well, and I think that's something that I think most attraction operators have learned, right? And even, even um, suppliers have learned that they may have to change on a dime or attraction operators have to, have to change based on what the government says. Um, but what I think is really interesting there too is when you look at normal versus peak, what the heck is normal anyway? anymore right you know I mean gosh I, I hate to say it again, but there's this new normal thing, right? What is our new normal? What's a new, new normal? What's the new normal under these conditions, right? So it's, it's hard to almost quantify what normal is anymore, right? There's a, there's a non-peak because, you, you know, it's, it's not Christmas or New Year's or a holiday. Um, but what does that look like? And then, you know, even to Cynthia's point, what does that look like now if we're using reservation systems, right? Because the normal before COVID was, Whoever wants to come comes. Now, with a reservation system that a lot of a lot of places are still using, it really helps to figure out how many people are coming from a, at, a, at a certain time and how you can spread out the crowd instead of you know having those peaks and valleys that you can't anticipate. And also, if that capacity limitation, if that number changes, mm -hmm. whether it's higher or lower, of how do you quickly adapt? You know, your business to be able to manage new requirements, especially if the capacity goes goes lower again and now you've got these reservations that are been that have been booked. Who do you who do you call? How do you make sure you do that in a non-discriminate way? It's probably just the last ones to book, you know, are the ones who get cut off. But hopefully we don't end up in that type of scenario, but at least that level of thinking definitely needs to be in place. Uh, and a couple other points made in the business strategy section, you mentioned dynamic pricing earlier, which we talked about recently in, uh, in our podcast interview with Martin Lewison, uh, which was extremely interesting to have that full deep dive conversation. If you haven't heard it, uh, it's, I think it came out just, just after IAPA. So it's actually, you know, rel relatively recent kind of in the, in the podcast backlog, if you will. Uh, but we're going to see more and more of that in the industry as parks and, and other venues are seeing the benefits of dynamic pricing. And then got to touch on Bob Cooney's point to say FECs are becoming more event businesses, which I feel like they always have been to some extent of saying birthday parties and, uh, you know, and, and corporate events and things like that. But I can imagine that that is now impacting the design of facilities as well, that they want to be able to entertain 
more groups in masses and with whatever period of normal that we are in at any given time, going back to everything we, uh, we just talked about a few minutes ago. Yeah. Well, and I'll add something onto that that uh, Doug Stagner talked about, which is not part of this this PDF, but he talked about it on the on the podcast in terms of Grant's Farm, which is a fantastic facility up in, in St. Louis. But he said, I want to give people at least five reasons to come to the farm. Right. And what he was talking about was, well, there's the, the holiday lights. Right. And there's there's holiday celebrations and then there's, you know, a birthday or whatever it is. Right. So instead of just coming to feed the goats, which is fun. Right. What are the other reasons? What are the other celebrations that people can come um, and do it at that facility? And I think you're seeing that at a lot of different places. Right. It's not just about kids birthday parties anymore at an FEC. Adults are having birthday parties there. And, and I mean, corporate events have always been a thing. But now you're seeing them um, even more business minded, like, like, let's just not have a, a corporate event just to have a party. But let's build in some team building, let's build in some education, let's build in some, some more strategic reason to get together. And I think, you know, having the, the facility that can handle that, um, I think you're, you're going to be um, uh, doing really well as you move into the future. For sure. Yeah. So that's the business strategy section right Woo! there. As we move forward, we now head into the technology section, which is really exciting. And we got some really good responses to this as far as where people are going uh, from, from a standpoint of attraction development, from types of environments that we're looking at. Bob Cooney is talking about the metaverse and NFTs, which, by the way, he says the metaverse gets overhyped. I agree. I think so too. But NFTs are undervalued. And that I think is also kind of true as well. So if you're not familiar with, with what NFTs are non, it's either fungible or fungible. I haven't really heard the, the right or wrong answer for that yet, but tokens, which could be really interesting to see how they how they interact with our industry and, and make their way into it because it's something that you can buy, but isn't real. And everything that we focus on in our industry usually is based off a real place of, you know, of somewhere that exists, but an intangible experience. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that, and we've said this, you know, for, for years and years and years, but, you know, when you leave someplace, a family entertainment center, a, a theme park, you're leaving with your memories, right? Which is not tangible, but it's those souvenirs that become the tangible representation. Um, and I know Ted Moulter talked about um, emotional souvenirs that people walk away with. So, you know, maybe there's a tie in there. I'll be honest. I am not the NFT expert, so I am not the person to ask about that. Um, but I do think that there's even more and more ways for us to capitalize on the fact that we know people are having emotional experiences when they come to us. And how do we ensure that those are, um, those are lasting and they're staying with people, right? That it's not just you're having a good time at the park today, but how are we reinforcing that um, along the way? And that could be something that's driven by technology. And, you know, I wonder if the future of ride photos or souvenir photo of if you can have like an NFT of yourself at the park you're at or at the attraction you're at, but does that have as much value as something that, I don't know, can be can be sold in the, the marketplace per se. I say in air quotes, which is how the NFT value is grown. But that's probably a conversation for people much smarter in the NFT space than uh, than we are. And unless we're going to have Gary V on the podcast anytime right. soon, I don't think we we will. We can probably uh, uh, 
let that be what it is. I, there were some other things too that, that I think is interesting. Bob Cooney says that VR is gonna continue in its explosive growth. Uh, so virtual reality, but that AR augmented reality is still a few years away. Louis Alfieri from Ravensun also commented both on VR and AR and said that they're not ready for prime positioning in complete offers yet. But as we get later into the year and then into 2023, he expects to see those transcendent moments in augmented and virtual reality experiences that are starting to be brought to the market. Uh, and that ties in with what Kevin Williams said of more immersive environments. So things like projection mapping and LED environments uh, can be really cool to see what this technology can do in these physical spaces and, and location-based entertainment. You know, I was also really intrigued by what Jen Rice said from Whoa Zone, um, because she was talking about, again, people wanting to get out and recreate and do all kinds of things outside, um, but that technology will continue to play a role in that. And one of the things that kind of um, was going through my mind was there are some experiences out in the in the world where maybe you don't want technology, right? Maybe technology takes away from it if you're in a in a heavily wooded environment or you know you're you're zip lining, you're doing all these things that are really out in nature and you want to connect with nature. And then here's this phone that you have to do something with to interact. Now, I could see it in in many ways being uh very positive, you know, in, in enhancing the experience, but I could also see that sort of pulling away and, and being a detriment to the experience so much so that you hear people as they go through Disney or universal saying, everything's on the app. I'm looking at my phone all day long. Right. And then they miss all the great theming and all the great architecture and all that kind of stuff. Cause they're staring at their phone and they've got to, they've got to reserve things all day long. So I think there's a balance there. I don't know exactly what that is, but I really appreciate that Jen mentioned the fact that People are going to want to go out and do all kinds of different things, but technology still has to, in some way, play a role. Yeah, and in many ways, too, the technology is going to work the best if it is running in the background and if it is felt but not necessarily seen. And we talked about this when we were recapping our IAPA sessions where Jen was on the, on the panel where we talked about guest experience technology, that if the technology focuses on enhancing the experience, then oftentimes it's much more well-received than if it is tech for tech's sake. So if it's technology that makes things more efficient or more automated and ultimately it gets the guests from A to B quicker and with less friction, then that's where we tend to see technology, you know, focusing on, on processes and weaving in with the management systems, which is what Zach Zornstorf, uh, Zarnstorf, I'm sorry, Zach, I, I don't know if I've ever said your last name out loud. I apologize if I just butchered it. He talked about continued automation and adaption refinement of a lot of the things that we have seen, a lot of explosive growth you know, during the pandemic of things like mobile food ordering or app-based payments, which as long as those are being designed with the guest in mind and not just with the business of saying, oh, this is amazing, we can now take money from people's phones, as long as the guest has an easy experience doing that and that they actually want to order food from their phone, then we're going to see more of that. He also mentioned self-service kiosks as well, which can help address labor shortages and also expedite the efficiency of arriving at a venue that if you're able to buy your tickets or at least you know, process your purchase all through a kiosk, then it can enhance satisfaction as well. 
And I think what's really important about what you just said there, it's got to have the the end user experience in mind, right? Can't just be tech for tech's sake. Um, one of our other contributors, uh, Catherine Woodcock, w- during during IAPA, she and I happened to go to the same um, quick serve restaurant, and I was struggling with that self service kiosk. I could not figure out what the next step was, and she had already gone through the process. She came over. She's like, "This is what you need. You need one of these for your table." Blah blah. And I just I felt like a dummy, right? Because I didn't <laughs> know what to do. I'm like, I think I'm a kind of a smart person. I can kind of figure this out, but it just was not for me intuitive of what the next step was. And so, you know, there's, you're going to have that, right? You, you can't make it perfect for everyone. But I think to Zach's point that if that can be something that is running in the background and, and creates a seamless experience and more and more people are used to it, like they're used to coming up and seeing all these ticket booths, right? Well, not anymore, right? You might see kiosks now, or you might be expected to, to purchase that at home and have the barcode or, your, or the QR code on your phone or have the, the tickets printed and you go right to the turnstile. And so, you know, you, the things you're going to see are going to be different. Um, and maybe it's just that I wasn't in tune with that particular process and more and more people are going to be uh, in tune with that. But I think it's still got to be, you know, heavily, heavily tested with just about every user that you can think of, just like anything you would put out in the market, right? So that people are are able to, to get what they want out of that. And like for me, if Catherine wasn't there, I might have left and gone someplace else. Exactly. Yeah. It, it needs to be intuitive and like you said, tested for every possible circumstance. And uh, you know, our, our friend Scott Carson, he, you know, mentioned the importance of leveraging technology to improve the experience and, and also tied it in with addressing it with staffing challenges. So being able to, to use technology from that standpoint. Uh, can be very important. Mandy Sabrandi, who was also on, on the panel at IAPA with, uh, with Jen, uh, when we talked about guest experience technology, she mentioned that they're going cashless in 2022 and that that's going to help increase uh, or speed up transaction time. Uh, they can increase prices with more ease and of course be more hygienic. So being very COVID cautious of not wanting to handle cash. But to your point, they're going to want to make sure that as they do that, then they're prepared for those guests to walk up with only cash in their pockets and no credit card of you know what they're going to be able to do to be able to uh, to be able to still serve those guests uh, without having to turn them away. Um, mm-hmm. So it'll um, it's it's exciting to see it and it's an exciting challenge to take on uh, and to see who else is also going completely cashless as well because I I think. In the next several years, I mean, there's so many different payment methods out there and cash, I feel like, is is dwindling more and more. Well, and you even had a, a recent experience at, um, at an aquarium, right, where there was a, a donation uh, mm-hmm. box and yeah. there, was, there was some cash in it. But your point was, what if there was a QR code or a way to, that I could just tap my phone and make a donation that way because we might not be carrying cash? Right. I couldn't make a donation. You know, now I ultimately upgraded my ticket to a membership, which is considered <laughs> a donation. So I, I did my part uh, to serve Shed Aquarium's mission. So looking forward to that. But but yeah, when I walked past that uh, that donation box, I thought, 
this is great, but it's already starting to be an outdated model. And, and you even commented on my tweet, made a good point of seeing cash in the bin, just like, I mean, just like when I worked at Subway in high school, we'd put a few dollars in the tip jar to get it started and put it back in the register to, you know, at, at the end of the night. So it wasn't off balance. So people see that people have donated it. It makes them want to more. Uh, but we just now need to think of what's the digital way of being able to, to have that same goal. You mean you're supposed to put that tip jar money back in the register? <laughs> Only if you took it out first. Oh, I see. I see. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. What, we would what? take out a few dollars and some <laughs> coins, put it in the cup. And then at the end, we knew, you know, we knew how much we took out. Gotcha. Out yeah. Gotcha. Otherwise, you, that's stealing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, that would not bode well for your future employment. Um, but one other thing that Louis Alfieri mentioned um, that kind of goes back to business strategy is around those variable story narratives. And even creating the narrative, I think as more and more people are experiencing those things in their own home with, with um, games they're playing at home or even on their phone, if a location-based uh, experience can create that as well, where now you're doing with multiple people in person, um, I think that's probably going to be something that's going to explode uh, as people really figure that out. Yeah. And, you know, he ties it in with... Uh, kind of being COVID cautious of so frictionless, touchless, and gesture-based technology of seeing that increase at a, at a remarkable rate. So it'll be exciting to see that. So, oh, sure. so that's business strategy and technology out of the way. And then we move into staffing and employment, which a lot of people had a lot of thoughts on. And I think it's uh, arguably one of the most uh, one of the most important topics we need to be thinking about as we go into 2022 and uh, definitely a lot of a lot of creative ways that people are able to address it. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that I'm taking away from our discussion of technology is that the technology and the employment piece are highly linked. Right. Um, and that used to be something that I, as a, as a human resources person, was like, no, you can't replace these employees with technology. But now we may have to, right? Especially and if they're opting out. Exactly. If there's less applicants and you have to, yeah. Exactly. Well, and I think you've got more people that are, like we said about the kiosks and things, they're more comfortable with that. They're more, more um, accustomed to that. So it may not be something where you have... You have to have employees staffed at every single ticket booth now, right? It can be a it can be a uh, a kiosk. But this also goes back to something that I remember hearing. Gosh, I want to say it was like in 1997. You know, I was going to IAPA and there was a gentleman named T. Scott Gross, and he was a kind of a customer service guru at the time. I'm not sure what he's doing now, but he did a presentation at IAPA, and he was talking about high touch versus high technology, high tech versus high touch. And he said, even back then, you know, as you had big box stores that were, you know, someplace where you'd go in and you write your order down and you bring it to the one person that's actually working there and they pull it out from the back. He said, the more technology you have, the people that you have then become even more important mm. because now you've got one person that you may interact with, right? Instead of the cashier and then the, the turnstile attendant and then the person taking your picture and then all these different people that you're interacting with, with along the way, there may only be one now instead of five or six. And so that one person better be on their game. They better be an A player because if you play the law of averages, you've got six people that you're inter interacting with and five of them are okay, but one's great, right? Okay, right? But one of those 
folks that is not great or is kind of, you know, kind of really pulls the average down, then you've got, you've got, you know, a, a very, very different experience. Whereas if you have one employee and that person's a dud, well, then you really screwed up the employee or the, the guest experience. So the more tech that we have, it's even more important that the people that we have are well-trained, that they're well, they're, they're highly engaged. They um, are customer or guest focused, and they really have an idea of what the organization is trying to do from a, a purpose and a philosophical standpoint. That's, that's a really good point. I'm glad that, uh, that you brought that up and, and that you retained that for 24, 25, <laughs> almost 25 years, right? For, yeah. uh, from, from a session at IAPA. That's how you know that you've got an impactful conference session at, uh, at IAPA or at, or at any show. And that point stays today, even as technology has uh, substantially evolved, that if you are able to use technology to reduce staff, then the staff that you do have uh, become extremely important in, in terms of how they're delivering the experience. Dane Appleberry from Audubon, he says that the companies with the best employee-focused leadership are going to have a competitive advantage. So he didn't talk about technology. He didn't even talk about recruitment strategy. He said this is about leadership. There needs to be a lot of leadership-focused training in 2022, which I know you completely disagree with altogether, obviously, right? That uh... <laughs> I, I, I can't believe Dane would say that. <laughs> uh, that when we focus on the employees that are coming to work and that are committing to the organization, that we're able to increase their output, increase their value overall, and be able to retain them better too. Well, and to kind of piggyback on that, first of all, Dane, I want to say hello to your mom. Um, next, <laughs> he brought her up in a, in a session we were at at IAPA. Um, but the other part of that is that, you know, when you have fewer people that are working for you because of the technology, you have fewer people in your leadership pipeline. So again, it's really important that they have a really clear understanding of the business, that you're training them well, because they're the ones now moving into leadership roles. And I I, I know you were kidding, but I completely 100%, 1000% agree with what Dane is talking about that you know, our managers can't just be about giving breaks and doing tasks, right? We, we, we can't just... Um, let that be the the norm or let that be the the uh, the bar that we're trying to reach because people are going to be looking for this experience. What is this experience doing for me? How is this impacting me? And I think people have always been asking that question, but now they're more vocal about it, right? And if if this experience is not what I'm looking for, then to your point, they're going to opt out, right? Mm -hmm. And I believe it was Cynthia that was talking, uh, Cynthia Sharp again, who was talking about the the wages. And if, if you pay $20 an hour or you, you pay less than $20 and somebody down the road is paying 20 and you can't match that in some way in terms of the experience or what people are getting out of it, then what's the incentive to stay, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I know a lot of theme park nerds will say, well, I want to work at a theme park and, you know, I want to run a roller coaster and I want to, I want, I want to be in this environment and that will get you a little ways but it's probably not going to get you as far as it used to when it comes to, you know, the competitive market of, you know, different signing bonuses and, and, and pay, not that pay is everything, but it certainly is something that attracts people and gets people in the door. Well, what's cool about the responses that we got, particularly just in this section right here, is that it, it really covered a lot of 
the employee journey. So multiple people talked about innovative recruitment and, and hiring practices. Anna Danow said it, uh, Cheryl Bindleglass talked about it. The top parks are, are gonna use innovative ways to recruit choice applicants. And then from the standpoint of how do we now treat those employees? What, what do we pay them? Dennis Spiegel is saying that the labor shortage is gonna continue to play havoc. Uh, many parks are going to be short staffed, struggling for employees, and a lot of people saying are saying that increased hourly wages are, you know, they're they're important and they're putting they're putting pressure on PLs, which is what Dennis is saying. But we need to be able to do that and then match the experience. And then if we're able to reduce labor with the technology, it washes out. Mandy from Skywheel says that pay rates are going up. They're increasing their employee wages. They're improving their benefits and their perks. So she says we're having the staffing challenges too, and we're addressing it head on. And uh, and we're going to see. You mentioned Cynthia talking about um, you know that you know if people. Why would people go work for someone who's going to pay them minimum wage or just higher uh, than that when they could have a similar or even a, a lighter job? making more and with the signing bonus going elsewhere. Uh, and, and Catherine Woodcock talked about talked about that as well from the uh, the academic standpoint because she comes from from uh, you know, the academia background. Uh, it shouldn't just be about hiring and interviews, but getting creative with encouraging, uh, she said different competitions and challenges and things like that. And I know that she's really involved with many of those for, for engineering standpoints, uh, but that there are creative and innovative ways to address these recruitment challenges. Well, I think that goes right back to what Dane was talking about in terms of, you know, creating the, the leadership team and the leadership pipeline that can foster that kind of environment for your team members, right? Yeah. Because if your leaders are not bringing the their a game and not you know employee focused then your employees are going to start to think well you know maybe what i'm making here isn't creating the experience that i want because my leader isn't helping me create that not that it's all on them but you know a, a good portion of that and so now i'm going to look, start looking for something that's a little bit more fulfilling to me right and fulfilling again isn't necessarily always about money but that is something that can pull people away from an experience where their maybe their expectations haven't been met and i've said this many times probably on the podcast that when people look at their paycheck whether it's direct deposited or paper paycheck doesn't matter but when they look at the number and that number is the only representation of the value that they bring then it's not going to be enough Right. Mm -hmm. So when you bring no matter, value, no matter what it is almost. Yeah. yeah. So when you look at the experience you're getting as an employee and you look at that number and then you think, oh, Josh is my boss and he listens to me and, you know, I can make suggestions and he always is giving me encouragement and he's he's coaching me and he, he's helping me be, be a better human being. That may be worth a little less in the um, in the compensation department than you know, and, and, and keep someone there rather than going and looking for something that's a few more dollars an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It uh, ties in with something that you've said before, or I think you heard it from someone else that it's, it's more than the pizza party. There's, yes. You know, it's not just, not just about, uh, yeah, kind of kind of giving those treats or, you know, ordering a couple of pizzas to, to thank employees for their work. There needs to be a lot more, a lot more meaning behind it. Absolutely. Like. Absolutely. Yeah. So good. So was that everything with staffing? I mean, we could probably talk about that for a long time, but we have a couple of other <laughs> categories to get to as well. Yeah, we've yeah. Let's move on to guest experience. Yeah, something I know you're kind of kind of excited about. 
Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> so in, in guest experience, we're, we're looking at, and, and we'll talk about Lewis first. He, he gave yeah. a, a great response here. Lewis Alfieri, Raven Sun Creative. Uh, increased shifts towards luxury pricing for in-person experiences. This is something I know you and I have, have chatted about before and looking at ways that people are able to have an enhanced experience when visiting an attraction and recognizing that people are willing to pay a premium price provided that you deliver a premium value. Now, looking at how that ties in with trends, and Lewis talks about how people are are concerned about physical distancing and, and spatial capacity, and you know, as a result of the pandemic. And that that gives a challenge to operators to how do you keep people spaced apart when our normal business model is cram as many people into <laughs> all these spaces as possible. Yep. And that actually opens up opportunities for more premium options. I mean, if you look at other industries, movie theaters, you know, during the, the height of the pandemic when most movie theaters were closed, offered to buy out the theater for just you and your family. Let's at least just offer it and see who takes us up on it. Yeah. Uh, I heard that uh, that private jet rentals have become you know increasingly more and more popular for those who are able to do that more often for people who don't want to fly commercial. And you look at it in our industry, I think that uh, there are there are opportunities to offer those enhanced experiences, and many of those are already taking advantage of them. Uh, Chrissy Schwartzman at Sawgrass Recreation Park, she shared this in the Attraction Pros Live uh, from the recent FAA conference, Florida Attractions Association. She talked about how their business model was, you know, fill up as you know every single seat on every single airboat, you know, as as kind of their primary revenue driver and that they pivoted and offered the one family at a time. Now you can just be with your group on the boat and they're able to charge more for that because it is a more premium experience. And it was so well received and it works great from a, from a revenue standpoint and from a guest experience standpoint, they're able to serve fewer guests, which means they're able to serve them better while at the same time meeting the financial needs of the business. Yeah. And one of the things that I would like for you to dive into a little bit kind of based on that is, is you talk a lot about data, right? And, and data and using that again, to, to enhance the end user experience. So they're not having to go through the data, you know, it's, it's the operator that looks at, you know, all the, all the data points. So how do you see the increase of data, not only that we have, but the increase of data that people can access, which are, kind of two different things, right? Because we ha may have a lot of data that we never look at, right? And then the data that is actually meaningful to us on a day-to-day -day basis. So how do we use that to drive revenue and, and increase the, the guest experience? Sure. So I think looking at both active and passive guest behaviors, and if we think back to our interview we did with Phil Edgel from Vantage a year and a half, it was in 2019, right? <laughs> we talked about that. But looking at it from a guest experience standpoint, uh, some of their passive data might be when and where did they buy their ticket? When did they visit? The things that guests are, are just doing as a natural course of their visit, tying it in with active data of let's say you are now seeking their feedback and they're filling out a survey or they're, they're doing something because they're being prompted to do it. Well, now we can say, all right, satisfaction 
uh, is dipping on Tuesdays between 7 and 9 p.m. at NFEC or, you know, whatever cleanliness scores are, you know, are dropping on Saturday afternoon, which we can anticipate because it's busier, but now we have the data that supports it. And now we can align it with our staffing because we now have this justification to better allocate our staff. So, they can clean the restrooms at this time right before we anticipate that it's going to be dirty. Mm -hmm. We now measure the feedback, the passive behavior from guests as they are using those restrooms and the active data from the survey that filled out of, oh, now we're getting fewer cleanliness complaints because we've used their previous data to better align our staffing. Uh, that of course is one of countless examples that, you know, that we can think of to say, where are the friction points in the guest experience and what can we do to alleviate, whether it's alleviating it altogether or alleviating the perception, because a lot of times the, the solution is not just the opposite of the problem. And that's something that, that I've been talking about for, you know, for a little while now of saying the problem is guests think the price is too high. So we're too expensive. Well, the opposite of the problem will be lower your prices by that's not necessarily the solution. Now you're making less revenue and guess what? People are still gonna complain that it's too expensive. So pulling back and saying, okay, it's not that we are too expensive, it's that guests are perceiving that we cost too much. So what can we do to now use the data that we have, use the data that surrounds it to say, what was it about this guest's visit that led to them perceiving that the ticket price was too high? And how can we alleviate those around the peripheral that then make the guest say, this was a great value. Um, I, I would I would pay more for this experience if the, you know, if if it cost more without actually changing any of your prices. Well, and I think the big word there is value. Right, because I, I think as you're looking at someone who's paying the luxury price or someone who's paying the the general public price, right, where where everybody's looking for looking for value, and I think one of the things that I've seen is people really embracing the fact that hey, we've got all these things to offer. If we offer them in one package, that becomes a greater value, right? And you can kind of uh, you know uh, lump lump some things together, which is not a new concept. But I think when it comes to maybe events, like we talked about earlier, right? If somebody has five events during the year and they used to all be, you know, separate hard ticket events, now they're maybe lumped together and they become a membership process. And, you know, it, it's looked at very, very differently. So I think what you're finding is even if people can't compete on the, the big theming immersive level, I think people can immerse people in their brand and in their product throughout the year, which is a different kind of concept, but you can also do that um, to enhance not only their experience with you, but their, their next experience with you, right? And then that obviously that increases revenue because if somebody comes twice, they're gonna buy a Coke twice probably or a funnel cake twice, right? And so that uh, helps your, 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 your beverage, your food and beverage uh, bottom line as well. Or a souvenir cup. Of a souvenir so, cup, exactly. And you talked about uh, the industry focusing on more immersive or complementary experiences. And as far as doing that, if they're not able to compete from a theming standpoint of creating more seamless interactions, can you expand and, and go into a little bit of a, a deeper dive on that? Absolutely. And I think what what I'm what I was thinking of when I when I wrote that was um, rise of the resistance, right? Mm -hmm. Because I mean. There's only one company, maybe two on the planet that could 
put that together and make it a seamless experience from the time that you walk into the queue and you know you're you're um, interfacing with these employees that are you know perfectly in character and then you experience this incredible experience i'm not going to call it a ride this incredible experience and then you know even at the end there's a you know it's it's a great finale um but again only one or two companies on the planet can can do that so that seamlessness for that particular attraction and that particular land is something that can be done through lots and lots of money, right? Lots and lots of really creative minds doing it. So instead of saying, hey, we're going to put, put you in this, this immersive experience, we're going to immerse you in our experience, right? So again, if it's a family entertainment center or if it's a cultural attraction, we're going to be able to immerse you in all the complementary things that we have to offer. For example, if somebody comes like you did at the at the aquarium, you bought that um, the membership, right? So now you can go more often. You're probably more likely to go because you've got that in your pocket. I know there's a there's a place here in North Carolina, the North Carolina Arboretum right? Which has wonderful walking trails and, and events and things like that. And my wife and I got a, a membership to that. And it just makes more sense to go once you've got the membership, then you don't have to pay for parking and you don't have to all, do all those things. And then you get immersed in what they have to offer. And now you become an advocate for them as well. And I might now share that to somebody else. Well, yeah, if you get a membership, then here are the benefits. And now I'm, I'm the, uh, I'm the advocate. I'm the one selling the property, which I think again, is another version of immersion. Uh, if I could use that phrase. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. And your advocates become your best marketing. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. So that's guest experience. Yeah. And, and should we, should we keep going? We have two more sections left. We have social responsibility and we just have industry optimism. So let's talk a little bit about social responsibility. And for this, uh, this overarching category right here, you know, brings in a couple of main factors. So Martin Lewison um, from Farmingdale State College, he talked about climate change, which I think was something that I, of course, we, we all, of course, should be thinking about and brought up some really important points as far as how is climate change going to impact theme parks and seasonality and looking at uh, you know, where you are geographically, how is this impacting your operating calendars and, or, or has it already? Are you shortening your, your season? Are you lengthening your season? Or do you have the ability to do more events in the wintertime? I'm in Chicago right now where it's really mild here in the, you know, late December, early January or so, more so than normal, which of course we're seeing as a good thing, but also, could be, you know, could be a, a bad thing as well. Uh, and, and then, of course, from the, you know, from the heat standpoint of how are you keeping your guys comfortable as, you know, as climate change looks to impact both extremes? Well, and then I think, it, you know, speaking of the guests staying comfortable, you know, he makes a comment that, you know, when he was a kid, and I remember this, it was far too cold in Ohio and New Hampshire to have any kind of uh, winter event. You just couldn't even fathom it. And now places like that are having these winter fests and, you know, their season is getting extended. And I was talking to one gentleman this morning and he said, well, our, our lights, you know, event, our winter lights goes till January 2nd. And then we open up in April again. So like that, that off season is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Mm -hmm. um, but then again, again, thinking of, of guest comfort, guests coming to a park, even if it's mildly cold in the winter is very different than coming in the summer, right? In the summer, they're in shorts, they're in flip-flops, they're in t-shirts. In the winter, they're going to be in gloves and hats. And, and how does that 
in, impact their experience as far as maybe even getting a wallet out to buy a souvenir, right? It's it's harder to do that. So are there other ways that they can they can streamline that experience? Um, but I think this is all under the heading of how is the climate changing and how is that affecting our operation and our calendars? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's really just interesting to think about and seeing how parks are reacting to that for for better or for worse, I, I should say, from you know from that standpoint. Mm -hmm. And also under the social responsibility umbrella, uh, we did get some great submissions about DEI initiatives, particularly from Louis Alfieri and Cynthia Sharp. They both elaborated on what we need to be thinking about as an industry. Uh, and Louis talks about you know diversity and representation across orientation, culture, gender, personal background, and that's only going to increase in importance across all areas of the industry. Uh, and Cynthia says, it's not enough to say we support, and I put that in air quotes, she put it in, in quotes in, in the ebook, uh, that it, it needs to have those time, effort, and resources. And that reminds me of what uh, Monet talked about when we had Monet Rooney on the podcast of saying, well, it's, it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to really do it and, and put in the time and the energy. Well, time, effort, energy, money, I mean, put, putting your money where your mouth is, I think is, is part of that, right? You know, are you, are you just saying it to say it? Are you putting up the poster or are you, are you walking the walk? Right. And, and I think that's such a, a critical component as we go back to the employee experience, you know, our employees feeling like there are enough people of their representation to uh, represented in the, uh, the population of that, that, um, that organization, so that they feel comfortable and they can, they can feel like they can speak up. And, you know, again, that may go back to even the wages, Right. You may you may take a slightly less wage to know that you are surrounded by people that you are comfortable with and, and your people. And I think that is something that as as organizations are looking at those initiatives, that it 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 should turn into turn from an initiative to just how they do business, if that yeah. makes sense. So instead yeah. of just saying, hey, we've got these advocacy groups. You know, the ideal would be that you don't need the advocacy groups because that's just how you run your business. Right. It, it becomes so normal that it doesn't yeah. need to be an extra conversation because it's just woven into the DNA of the business. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I also want to get back to um, Lewis's point just about the diversity in how we are creating attractions and how we are creating spaces. If you've got all of one orientation of people, right? All white guys that are creating the experiences, then chances are the hero in that experience is gonna be a white guy, right? And the, the way that people experiences are, experience that attraction is going to be through that lens. So I think when you have people like Chris Hightower from Universal, who um, you know is very vocal about um, you know, allowing people of color to, to be part of that creative process and to lead the creative process. I think then you start to see how the different viewpoints can change the story and change the narrative. And if we actually take this back to us creating our own narrative, if we're looking at this more as, as gamification, then you are the star of the show. And as me, Matt Heller, my, my star of the show is going to be very, very different than somebody else who has a, a very different background than I do. So yeah. I think that just increases the richness of the attractions that we can offer. 
Yeah, absolutely. 100%. 100%. So that leads us into the final section. And we really wanted to make sure that we end on a high note because there's Woo! a lot of, <laughs> I would say a lot of, I, uh, you know, I would say a lot of serious things that, you know, we, we need to be thinking about and not that, you know, any of this is, is not serious, but really looking at it uh, from a lens of optimism, uh, there were a lot of great comments as far as what people are looking to see in 2022. Ron Gustafson from Quasi saying, you know, families are, are anxious again and they want to get out and experience parks and attractions after another winter of dealing with COVID strains that we we thought one year ago right now when the vaccine was just getting up and running and out the door that by now we would be 100% back to what we used to think of as normal. And now thanks to Omicron, that is not the case at all. Uh, so that that pent up demand continues to uh, continues to grow. Yeah. Well, and and David Backus mentions that new places he sees are going to be opening up, right? And it kind of gets back to Dennis Spiegel's comment about you know new markets and and utilizing old markets maybe in new ways. But I think he's very optimistic that you're going to see new places open up, new brands, new experiences. And it may even go back to what Cynthia said as, as far as why not, right? Yeah. Why why not combine axe throwing and ice skating? Well, maybe that's not a good example, but, <laughs> you know, there's- Ice skate growing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so why not, you know, put some of those ideas out there and see if they float? Because, you know, again, I think people are going to be looking for things that are new and different and outside the box. And as much as I love roller coasters, I also like to see what else is out there. Yeah. And, and Cynthia says that she anticipates a faster recovery and spool up than the last recession we had back in 2008. Projects are picking up. So that aligns with what Dennis said, what David Bacchus said, uh, and that people are getting into this industry having seen how badly people want to get out and, and go places and do stuff. And that that's going to continue to accelerate. Ken Lasha at Dutch Wonderland, he anticipates that parks and water parks are going to see strong attendance and also increased attention to special events, as you know, we were just talking about it a few minutes ago, of ways that parks are able to leverage those more. And Dennis Spiegel says admission pricing for 2022 continues to rise, which uh, would, which could go one way or another, but he finishes the sentence by saying no li or little or no pushback from guests. So that elasticity there, and especially tying it in with dynamic pricing that, you know, we're, we're looking at a, a strong uh, continued economic growth for the industry. And speaking of that, and I don't, I don't think you mentioned this, but Mandy also mentioned per caps, right? Specifically, mm -hmm. right? Like that spending is going to continue to go up and up and up. Um, so it's not just the admission price that, that's going to be bringing in revenue, but you know, as Bernie said, it's the it's the souvenir mugs, it's the it's the per capita. Once people are out, then it's like, okay, now we're out. We feel good. We want to remember this experience. We want this experience to be the best that it can be. And that may mean spending a little bit more money. Absolutely. hundred percent. So that, uh, that sums it up yeah. right there. So we've got the, the six categories in the ebook business strategy, technology, staffing and employment, guest experience, social responsibility, and optimism. Uh, and I just want to send a, a huge thank you and a message of gratitude for everyone who contributed to this. Uh, it was just so amazing to see this wide variety of suggestions and comments and contributions that we're able to really just, just take it and, and package it together and say, 
here's what, you know, what we can anticipate for 2022. And I look forward at the end of the year of looking back on it and looking at, uh, at all of this coming to fruition and how it uh, truly impacted the industry. So thanks to those who, uh, who contributed to it. And, uh, and of course, for, for everyone watching and listening to the podcast. Absolutely. So as we kind of wrap this up, Josh, um, what are you looking forward to over and above what we talked about here? Is there anything else that you specifically are uh, anticipating or looking forward to? I'm looking forward to hopefully getting my son Jacob to a theme park this year. We've taken him to the zoo. We've taken him to the aquarium and, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll get him on a, on a ride or two that he's old enough and tall enough to. So that's, that's the first thing that, that comes to mind. Uh, I think that I, from a, you know, from an industry standpoint, I will say that uh, I look forward to continue to see the pent up demand and the optimism of the general public's uh, desire and, and crave for what it is that we all do for, uh, for, for society, because, you know, because attractions are essential going back to episode 200. So <laughs> yes, they are. So that's, that's my sappy answer. What, uh, what are you looking forward to? <laughs> well, um, I'm not looking forward to seeing you put, um, uh, paper in the bake ba- uh, the bottom of Jacob's shoe so he can meet the height requirement. You're not going to do, do that. Won't We're do not going to do that. Um, <laughs> but I think what I, what I'm looking forward to, and maybe this is more of a hopeful thing is that as we increase leadership training, as Dane talked about, as we increase our focus on employees and employee engagement, that we we get back to this idea that service is a real business, right? And I think we say that quite a bit. And, you know, service is something that's really important to a lot of businesses. And you see it in some industries where people are making a literal living, you know, living wages, supporting their family, as a service provider. And I think we've gotten away from that in the industry, but I think with this this wave of being more more employee focused and certainly organizations uh, being more employee driven than than employer driven when it comes to who's got the kind of quote unquote power in that relationship, that we'll start to see how important it is to reinvest in more training and more engagement and more ways to keep employees and not just say, well, that's okay. There's, there's somebody else coming, coming in behind them because there isn't really now there isn't right. You know, we used to be able to say that a little bit, but it's been trending uh, the wrong way in a long, for a long time. And now it's even worse. So I think it's, it's even more important that we're putting that kind of emphasis on it. So that if someone gets into the industry and they say, this is something I would love to do. I would love to be able to make my living doing this, that there's a, a clearer path to do that from a service perspective. Mm. Well said. Yeah, thank very, you. Very interesting. <laughs> that was much more thought-provoking than my response. <laughs> <laughs> but yours was more heartfelt. So we'll, yeah, there's a balance. balance. Got to have the balance, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I look forward to all of this. Really excited to see what 2022 looks like for this amazing industry. So for all those who are watching and listening, thanks so much for, uh, well, for, you know, of course, for being part of the industry that we all get to do uh, such, such an amazing service to society for those who come to, to these types of experiences. And just remember that we are all attraction pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.